If you would please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 10. The Gospel of John, chapter 10. We're going to read verses 22 through 30. John chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. If you would please stand with me and let's give our attention to the Word of God. John 10, verse 22. These are the words of life. And it was at Jerusalem, the Feast of Dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you. And ye believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Amen. Lord God in heaven, thy blood-bought sheep are gathered. Feed them. With thy holy word, feed them with Christ and his truth. Bless the saved. Save the lost. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. It was winter in Jerusalem, December, and the Lord Jesus Christ walked in the temple of Solomon's porch, in Solomon's porch. Uh, This was during the eight-day feast, the Feast of Dedication. It's now called Hanukkah. The Seleucid ruler, a Syrian named Antiochus Epiphanes IV, defiled the temple in 167 B.C., making it unusable for worship. A Jewish army led by Judas Maccabeus reclaimed, purified, and rededicated it to God in 164 B.C. During this festival, Jewish priests would examine their commitment to God. 
using Ezekiel 34. That chapter begins, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? That's how it begins. It continues in that vein. That's the Feast of Dedication. That's the context in which Jesus speaks. While Jesus, the good shepherd, walked in Solomon's porch, the Jews surrounded him and pressed him with questions. How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. The Lord answered plainly, I told you, and ye believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But there was a reason why they did not hear him. There was a reason. Ye believe not. It's that simple. Some of you don't hear the word of God, though you sit in the building and the words come into your ear pans. Why don't you hear it? Why don't you believe it? Christ plainly told them, the Jews, the difference between them and his sheep. He made a clear distinction. Now remember, he's talking to Jews who believe themselves to be the sheep of God. This is very plain throughout the Old Testament scriptures. This is what Jesus said. His sheep heard him, and his sheep followed him. They didn't just hear. It didn't stop with hearing. It went on to following him. Those that were not his sheep neither heard nor followed. They were deaf and unbelieving, though they were full of the word of God. The light in them was darkness, and how great was that darkness. They had the word of God in their minds, but it just as soon have been all written on stones outside them. These Jews saw Christ's astounding miracles. And yet they still did not believe who he was. God was telling them who Jesus was by the works that he did. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. By not believing those signs and wonders, they were calling their God 
a liar. Jesus said, those works bear witness of me. Tragic witness to darkened minds and faithless souls that questioned him. They didn't question themselves. They questioned the one who was working the miracles. The Lord Jesus followed these striking statements with even more remarkable declarations. He gives to his sheep eternal life. Eternal life. A life that cannot and never will end. And he says they will never perish. My sheep Hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Christ's sheep are in the fold, and they follow after the shepherd. And he says, I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. That means we're safe in Jesus' hand. All those in Jesus' hand are safe. That eternal life knows no end. And being in the safety of his hand safeguards it for all eternity. But he goes on still. My Father, which gave them me, here enters the sovereignty of God, predestination, election. My Father, which gave them, the sheep, me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Even if you could uncurl Jesus' fingers from us, we're still in the Father's hand. It's not going to happen. But we are, if I can put it this way, double safe. So in other words, Christ the Good Shepherd gives His sheep a life, a quality of life that never ends. It is everlasting. It's not temporal. If you have it, it cannot be temporary. It cannot be lost. Why? Because we're in Christ's hands and in the Father's hands. Those who possess this life will never lose it. Not because of themselves. Not because of what they've thought or said or done. But because of who Christ and his Father are. And because of what they have done to save the never dying souls of their people. This is the doctrine 
of preservation and perseverance. So the title of our sermon this evening is Christ's Sheep Can Never Be Lost. Christ's sheep can never be lost. His personal pronoun, my, is wonderful. So, <clears throat> we want to consider then this evening the doctrine of preservation and perseverance. A very brief look at it. It's worthy of a series, but not for the present time. So our first thought is this. Christ preserves us so that we persevere. Christ preserves us so that we persevere. <clears throat> the idea of preserving arises from the words, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I give them life. They have it. And the sheep can't be stolen. So we are safe in the hand of Christ. And as I said, Jesus went even further. We are preserved because my Father which gave them me. Here, my son, here is my love gift to you. Here's your sheep. Here's your flock. Don't lose them. I won't lose one of them. And he says that when he walked in this world. I will not lose one of my sheep. Now, there may be some among the sheep that look and sound and make noises like sheep for a while. But they will not finish the course because they will not be preserved. We persevere because we're preserved. We're in Christ's hand. He's given his life that we might live and live forever. So, no one's greater than his father, so no one can beat him. It's that simple. It's like saying, my dad is the strongest man, the biggest man on the block. No one takes him down. I'm safe as long as I'm with him. And so it is for God's people. We have a father that's bigger than their father, the devil. <clears throat> their father might do us some damage, but he cannot have us. My father is greater than all, and no man is no man is able. That means it's not possible. There isn't any way, there is no strength that can overcome those who are in his hand. That's preservation. We are preserved by the glorious grace of God, by the great strength of God. So, the terms mean this. Number one, preservation. To preserve means to keep or save from injury or destruction. To defend from evil. Christ preserves us. For we are in his and his father's hand. 
And he's taken every measure as our mediator to accomplish everything necessary for our preservation. We are saved. We are safe for eternity. Number two is the word perseverance. To persevere means to persist in anything. To keep going. To persist in any enterprise, any endeavor that we have undertaken. Now, all of us can probably look back at something that we started that we never completed, that we never finished. Shortly after I was married to my beloved bride, I learned that she liked things finished, done, not strung out, done. And why? So that we can do the next thing and finish that. And she expected that. That wasn't a wrong thing to desire. She married the wrong guy for that. So many of the things that I started had five more things rise up. And I sat there regularly trying to figure out which one to do and finish. I did get some finish. She would tell you I did finish occasionally. But we don't like it when we don't finish, generally speaking. How many of us have said, I'm going to read the Bible this year? And, you know, made it to Leviticus, and then everything stopped. Or some other place. How many times have we been given a job to do, and we didn't quite finish it? That's not what happened with Christ. And it's not what's going to happen to us. We will persevere to the end, because he got the job done. He got everything done to save us and to keep us. So preservation and perseverance are vital. They go together. They should not be separated. We are preserved by the mighty power and grace of God so that we persevere. If we're not persevering, something's desperately wrong. Because Jesus never stops his work in his people. Now we can quench the spirit, which is a shame. We can grieve the spirit, of which we need to learn to repent earnestly. <clears throat> but the fact is, preservation is what makes us persevere. We do because God is doing. It's there in the scriptures. <clears throat> God worketh in us both to will, doesn't stop there, and to do of his good will. That doing doesn't save us. It's the expression of the preservation that is helping us to persevere in our service to God. We need to always be clear about that. <clears throat> so, we've looked at the terms. Let's consider the doctrine itself. 
when we speak of perseverance, we are not saying that it is brought to pass because of a Christian's own actions or strength. Believers do not have some inherent ability to preserve themselves. And children, inherent means something that's natural to us. It's natural in our makeup. We don't have something that's just in us so that we go on walking with Christ that's in our own nature. That's why the Lord regenerates us and gives us the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit abiding within us that preserves us and causes us to walk faithfully, persevering with Christ. Louis Berkhoff expresses the doctrine this way. Perseverance is the continuous operation of the Holy Spirit in the believer by which the work of divine grace that is begun in the heart is continued and brought to completion. Let me say that again. Definitions can be a little stodgy and cold sometimes, but, but when you get a really good one, you want to know it. You want to understand it. Perseverance is the continuous operation, the work of God the Spirit in the believer by which the work of divine grace that is begun in the heart, regeneration, is continued and brought to completion. Praise the Lord. But we must acknowledge that not everyone who professes to believe in Christ and who is accepted by other Christians necessarily makes it to the end. Not everyone that professes Christ possesses Christ. Not everyone that makes the noise of a sheep finishes the course. Not everyone that talks about being a Christian is guaranteed secure for all eternity. The kingdom is not talk alone. It's power, power in the Holy Ghost, walking with Jesus. As John Murray observes, quote, The scripture itself, therefore, leads us to the conclusion that it is possible. Now listen carefully. He's going to cut this very close. We must acknowledge that those who profess to believe in Christ do not always make it to the end. Murray says, The scripture itself therefore leads us to the conclusion that it is possible to have a very uplifting, ennobling, reforming, and exhilarating experience of the power and truth of the gospel to come into such close contact with the supernatural forces which are operative in God's kingdom of grace 
that these forces produce effects in us which to human observation, not what God sees, but to human observation are hardly distinguishable from those produced by God's regenerating and sanctifying grace, and yet be not partakers of Christ and heirs of eternal life. Close quote. This is the biblical balance. Christ spoke this way. It's why he gave us the parable of the four seeds, three, uh, four grounds. The three of those grounds did not make it. Only one. Two of them looked like it for a while. The scripture doesn't say, all right, if there's a six-month limit here. They profess to be a Christian. After six months, uh, they begin to look a little fuzzy so you can say they're not a Christian. It doesn't work that way. No one thought that Judas was entered into by the devil and would betray Jesus. No one. What did they say around the table? Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? Don't be fooled. We as a congregation must receive people that profess to be Christians if they have a credible profession. But that doesn't mean that we know without any doubt that they're regenerate. And they may ultimately prove not to be. The churches were filled with this. That's why there's a Hebrews 6 in the Bible. Warnings. Warnings. That's why it's important for us to know about preservation and perseverance. God's sheep are going to make it. And it's always by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. Always. There isn't one bit of it that you can stand up and say, I did my 2%. You know, say, when you enter those glorious gates, Jesus did it all for me. Now, <clears throat> What is the difference between the two? The seeds, the true seeds, and the tares among the wheat. The true believers do not trust in themselves at any level. Where they do, the Lord will work that out of them. He will put them in situations where they realize, without Christ, I can't do this. The true believer always looks to Christ. Christ and his grace alone are their hope of preservation. Their hope of perseverance. The father of Christ secures them. The love of Christ upholds them. The spirit of Christ empowers them. The word of Christ enlightens them. And the people of Christ encourage them. You can't make it without God's people. They can't save you. 
but they should be walking right along, urging you along in the battle, helping you get up when you've fallen down. They need to be in the stands shouting the loudest, Go! Keep going! Get up! <laughs> it's worth it! Yes, it's worth it! Get up! All right, we'll run down there and help you get up. God's given you everything for your perseverance because he preserves you. He's given you everything to preserve you. Now, our next major thought is how and why Christ's sheep do persevere. How and why? We've already laid the groundwork for that. We need to look to see our text in the context of other portions of Scripture. What else do the, do the other passages in, in Scripture say? Of course, we can only cover a few. But let's consider first and foremost, God's nature, purpose, and promises are unchanging. Why will you be safe? And why will you then, being preserved, persevere? Why? Well, first of all, because God's nature, God's purpose, and God's promises are unchanging. <clears throat> first, God's love is unchanging. Malachi 3.6 tells us, For I am the Lord... I change not. James chapter 1 verses 16 through 18 tell us that God's love is immutable. It's unchanging. As we learn from Jeremiah, God's love is an everlasting love. It's not a temporary love. He doesn't say, well, look, I'll give you a couple of millennium or millennia. <clears throat> He says, no, it's forever. Because my nature is forever. Therefore, my love is forever. And if I have fixed my love on you, it's not going to change no matter how weak and feeble you are. In fact, I will get glory as I strengthen my weak and feeble people. Paul tells us that the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. He's not going to change his calling of his people. He doesn't call you and say, oh, <laughs> you only looked good for about six months. You're done. He doesn't do that. Now, some people may prove to be that, but it's because they're not preserved. Number two, his faithfulness is unchanging. Not only is his love unchanging, his faithfulness is unchanging. <clears throat> All of us, at some time or another, have promised somebody something and not come through with it. <clears throat> All of us have tried to be faithful at various times and have failed. But God isn't that way. The psalmist rejoices. God forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. But the Lord is faithful, listen, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. 
Peter adds, but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while. And some of us don't like that part of the verse. But you're not going to be a regenerate soul and escape suffering. Our very master, our Lord, our God-man King Jesus learned by suffering. We'll see that in Hebrews pretty soon. You're not going to get out of this sheepfold without suffering. It's part of the life here in this world. The God of all grace, after you have suffered a while, make you perfect, that means complete, establish, strengthen, settle you. That's what he's committed to do. Do you believe that? Do you believe today that the eternal God, whose love never changes, whose faithfulness never fails, is committed to helping you go all the way through what he's called you to do? Well, <clears throat> Not only is God's love unchanging and his faithfulness unchanging, God's purpose is unchanging. Uh, we make plans all the time, sometimes big plans <laughs> that fall through. Did that happen to you? Big plans. Well, it could have been anything. Something you wanted to buy, something you wanted to build, some relationship you wanted to have. Oh, we can make big projects and then they don't work. God, and then we say, oh, I'm going to do something else. In fact, sometimes we start to do something and go, mm, I know I'm on the horse in the middle of the stream, but we're going to change this. Don't like it. God doesn't do that. Isn't that comforting? He has a purpose. He created the universe in which to unfold that purpose. He sent his son into this world to accomplish the purpose, and he sent the Holy Spirit to regenerate and fill his people to accomplish and finish the purpose. Is that not glorious? That's our God. His purpose is unchanging. Because God's nature is unchanging, because his love itself is eternal, his gracious and loving purpose is immutable. Whom he loves from the beginning, he loves to the end. I don't know if you've ever had the experience, probably most of you have, where you uh, made a friend or an acquaintance uh, and you, you loved them and you were wonderfully close. You shared your hearts with one another and then it fell apart. It just didn't go on. Something popped up. It was maybe an excuse or maybe it was wickedness on the part of one and not the other. Or maybe it just, as the world said, <clears throat> the thrill is gone. But it's not like that with God. He does not change. If he fixes his love upon you, it isn't changing because that's his purpose. His purpose arose from his love. His purpose to save you is rooted in un changing love so the purpose that he has to ultimately bring you to his 
glorious presence isn't going to change. <clears throat> I repeat, whom he loves from the beginning, he loves to the end. Whoever may fail you in this world, beginning with me, <clears throat> God never will. Whoever will fail you, Christ never will. And that's because of what we read here. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. The end is already done in his mind. It can be said that when we look at ourselves, you take a picture of you, of, of, uh, take and look at a picture from you, uh, about you 10 years ago. Now, for those of you that are old enough to have 10 years, and look back and go, hmm, I don't look like that anymore. I mean, wait till you've done seven decades and look at those pictures and go, oh, <laughs> there's a body that didn't have any wrinkles in it. Hmm. I, the, we're changing all the time, and we know that we're coming to an end. It is appointed to man once to die, and then the judgment. So we're all going to die unless we're alive when Christ returns. So there's, I've preached more funerals in my years as a pastor than weddings. Many more. <clears throat> and there are people all the time whose calendar comes to an end because God's calendar said this day is the last one. It's coming for each one of us, and there's not any guarantee. None of us knows how much longer we have. Sometimes those that look like they're not going to make it are the ones that last. Among Myra's and my four parents, my dad and Myra's dad were big, strong men. They both died before our mothers did. And of our mothers, Myra's mother's ha mother had so many heart issues. I mean, at age 59, she had six bypass surgery. That's major. I mean, everyone expected her to die. We even gathered at the hospital three or four times to tell her goodbye. The doctor said, she's not going to make it. She outlived all of our parents by many years. That's all in God's hands. The big and the strong sometimes look like they're going to last forever. Sometimes they're the first to go. It's all in God's sovereign purpose. But for each one of us, there's glory at the end. There's glory at the end, because of God's purpose, because of God's love, because of God's faithfulness, and we can keep going. <clears throat> God gave us this so great salvation in Christ before the foundation of the world, and he saw that he would glorify us. And no matter how many years we were on this planet, the day's coming when we will go to glory to be glorified. 
And we will be glorified. We will be like Christ, for we shall see him as he is. And we will be with him throughout all eternity in glory, glorified. That's good news. It's guaranteed to God's sheep. Jesus says, my sheep. So the question that you and I have is, do I hear his voice and am I following? That doesn't save me. It says, I'm his sheep. Well, this is why God the Father draws men to Christ by the Holy Spirit's mighty work and continues to work within them to will and to do. He doesn't do that one day and then expect you to do the next 50. If you make it in Christ any given day, it's because Jesus Christ was pouring in the oil on your fire. This is why Paul was so confident that he which hath begun a good work in us will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Perseverance ultimately rests in predestination. God purposed for you to make it. God purposed for you to be glorified and made like his son. And he doesn't fail in his projects. Thirdly, God's promise, promises are unchanging. His nature is unchanging. His purpose is unchanging. And his promises are unchanging. Oh, be careful when you say, I promise. Just be careful. I'm not saying you can never say it. But be ready to do what you just promised. Your word means something because you're a representative of God. I remember as a child, I love my dad. I do not speak of him ill uh, in order to attack him. He was a businessman. I'd say, Dad, when, when can we play? I always wanted to play. He said, when I come home from work, son, we'll go out and throw the football. Then he'd come home from work. And I'd say, Dad, we're going to play? He said, I'm too tired. And it would never happen. Over and over. After a while, you don't ask anymore. You don't want to be known as someone who promises and doesn't come through. Right? But it's inevitable. Sometimes we do promise. And then we can't fulfill it. Time to repent and get right. But it doesn't happen with God. He's not that way. He doesn't make promises and then go, oh, sorry, I was helping them over there and I forgot you. We can do that. He doesn't. God's nature is immutable because his love is immutable and because his purposes are immutable. Then those who believe him may rest and have confident hope that his promises are unchanging. These promises rest upon God's righteousness and holiness his name is truth. He is truth and everything that he does is true. He cannot lie. So his promises are always true. And we need to make sure we understood them. That's where interpreting the Bible is very important because we can take something and say, that's my promise. 
uh-oh, God didn't come through. And it wasn't because he didn't come through. It's because he didn't promise that to you. Be careful, especially with promised books. Just be careful. I'm not saying don't get them. I'm not saying you have to have a book burn. But I am saying the scriptures are in a context. And certain people are being spoken to under certain circumstances at certain times for very specific reasons. Sometimes that doesn't apply to me or you. You just need to make sure that that promise is something you can really hold up. These promises rest on God's immutable love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's true or it's not. You believe it where you sit or you do not. You should believe it because it's true. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your house. That was said specifically to a jailer. But if it was said to a jailer, it could certainly be said to us. Right? We have to see the context. We have to understand why something's being said. But a man has asked, what do I do to be saved? And he got the answer. And that answer comes down to us. And it's rooted in a promise that's rooted in immutable love that's rooted in an unchanging purpose because God loves us. So that's good news. Paul boldly declares that God will confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless. Oh, I look forward to that day. I want to be blameless. I can still be blamed in this world. I sure want to be blameless. That ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because God is faithful by whom ye were called under the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. He's faithful when I'm not, when you're not, when any of his children are not. He's faithful. Not only that, not only do we see all of those wonderful things that we've looked at so far, but Christ's mediation is perfect. Jesus Christ, the God-man, is perfect in his life. Perfect in his thoughts, his words, his actions. Everything he did was in accordance and in obedience to his holy heavenly father. And he was outworking that wonderful eternal purpose to save those sheep. He was committed before, the, before he said, let there be light. He was committed to say, I'm going to go and get every sheep that you've given me. Every one of them. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Through Christ and Christ alone, God has done all that is eternally necessary to take away everything that stands between us and Him, namely our sin. He doesn't leave one. Through Christ, 
The testimony of the Old and New Testaments is that our God is a faithful covenant-keeping God. He has kept his covenants with Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and shadows come to glorious reality. The new covenant. He's faithful to that covenant. <clears throat> he kept his covenant with all those to ultimately bring to pass the glories of the new covenant. In Christ, all the types and shadows come to a glorious reality. God's saving purpose comes to its fullest revelation in the God-man. And we have him right here in the scriptures. We can look at him and we can hear his truth. And through this, we can commune with him in prayer by the power of his spirit. It is as real for us as if he stood here materialized before us. His word presents him to us. Come and dine. Come and feast on Christ. Well, <clears throat> the salvation given to us before the foundation of the world is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. He came. The one who was promised came. And the one who came by promise has made us promise. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Now you believe he's a liar or you believe him. You believe on him unto everlasting life or you don't. That's one where there's not maybe, oh, 50-50, 60-40. No, you believe him or you don't believe him. That one's black and white. Salvation is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light. How? Through the gospel. That wonderful message of the God-man living, dying on Calvary's cross, rising again the third day, ascending into glory, being seated at the Father's right hand. He saves us completely, fully. He gives us everlasting life. That shepherd won't lose one of his sheep. God resolved every fallen condition we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. He resolved it. Oh, I have problems I'm still trying to resolve. Do you? Are there any problems in your life that you'd like to be gone, but they have to be resolved? And you haven't been able to resolve them yet. I don't like those. I got a bunch of them. But God's not like that. He knows exactly. He knows exactly the solution every time. And for us, it's always in Jesus Christ. That's where we have to be oriented. That's where, as I prayed earlier, that's where the compass of our heart constantly needs to find true north, Jesus Christ. Now, <clears throat> so the Lord has 
He has resolved all of it in our prophet who tells us the truth and tells us the ways of God and the ways of salvation. Our priest who has offered the sacrifice that God accepts so that we don't have to offer a, a bull, a goat, a bird ripped apart to be ceremonially clean. No, we have the blood of our great high priest that cleanses us completely. And he intercedes for us. Isn't it good to know that somebody is on your side? Have you ever been in those times where it feels like everybody's against you? It's probably not the case, but it feels like that. Hmm. Does that feel good to you? But isn't it wonderful when someone comes along and encourages you? <laughs> Many of us are good on discouragement of others, but we need to all be better on encouraging others. Right? Why? Because Christ encourages us. We have him every day. He's resolving the problems, and he will resolve all of them. He's our priest, and he's interceding for us. He doesn't forget you. He knows you. He loved you before you ever were you. And he saved you, and he's making you like him. Seems to be going slow. Is your hair growing? Do you see it? No. But you know in a couple of weeks, it's been growing. Is that right? One of the problems is we're constantly looking and going, am I growing? Am I growing? Well, just look in the mirror of Jesus every day and say, that's how I want to be. He's committed to that end. He will encourage you in that. He will encourage you along the way. He will do things that will stun you sometimes. You may be down at the bottom of the well, and all of a sudden he sends somebody along just to give you that one word that picks you up for the rest of the day. Or it could be that you open up the word of God and your eyes light upon a passage, and the whole thing lights up, and you understand something that you didn't, and it encourages you. We all need that, do we not? We've got someone, we've got an encourager. Our great high priest. And Christ is our king. We won't stop on that point. <clears throat> but here we have a king who intercedes for us. A kingly priest, a priestly king who teaches us the truth. What else do we need? And finally, we are preserved by the indwelling Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and we persevere because we're preserved by the Holy Spirit. Christ's mediation and intercession take away all that keeps us from God. Now, unfortunately, we can build up some walls ourselves. We can put barricades in front of ourselves. We've got to watch the flesh. It likes to go after what it knows. And the flesh in and of itself doesn't know the glory of the kingdom we're in. In fact, it fights it. But we've got someone to encourage us. We've got, some, we've got an indweller that helps us along the way. We're going to make it because the Holy Spirit lives in every regenerate heart. 
you're not going to make it because you're so strong. In fact, if you're even remotely thinking that way, the Lord will be happy to put you in a place where you find nothing but weakness. See, that's what Paul finally understood in that great passage. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Somehow, you don't see yourself as weak enough. I can help you with that. And he will. And then we've got nothing to do but look to him. Say, I get it. I can't do this myself. I need thy help. Therefore will I take pleasure in my infirmities. Are you at that stage yet? You need to answer that. Go look in the scriptures. Look in the mirror of the scriptures and answer that question. Are you delighting? Are you finding pleasure in him showing you your weakness? Showing you infirmities? Showing you your failures? Sometimes, now be careful with this. This is the kind of thing that can be confusing. You've got to learn how to walk with the Lord. But sometimes... We think it's just the devil attacking us and it's the Lord throwing down our idols or just showing us what we really are instead of the way we've made ourselves up to look. That's an act of love, but it usually doesn't feel good. Yeah, that's what Paul finally got. Thank you. I delight that you are showing me that I'm a weakling. Now I'll trust you. I can handle this. I can work this out. Oh, well, let me show you that you can't. And he will. It's his love doing that. Not his hatred. Because what was his son like? His son bowed to everything that he was commanded. What he said, say this. Jesus said that. When he said, be quiet, he was quiet. When he said, go to the cross, his son said, I'll go. Everything that he was commanded to say or do, he did it, looking to his father. That's the model. And all of us need to understand. Sometimes, I'm not a name dropper, someone you would know by name said to me, you know, brother, I was sharing some issues with him. He said, you know, brother, when the Lord is really using you, sometimes it feels like he's killing you. And he's right. <clears throat> How much humiliation do you need? He'll bring it. Best thing to do is wake up and bow. Not because he's mean, but because he's committed to you being like his son. Do we get that? Well, I just don't understand why God's doing this to me. He's making you like his son. Well, it doesn't feel like it. Well, go back and read what it says as opposed to your feel factory. He could finally say, Paul could finally delight in, for my, God said, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. I ask him, please, fix my eyes. I've got to have my eyes fixed. He says, no, you just trust me. 
miserable. But he got it. We need to get it. Well, I want to give you some important thoughts about preservation and perseverance. I'm going to run through these really quickly, but I want you to listen. If what we've said is true here, then a number of things follow. I have 10 of them. That's why I'm going to run. Number one, there's more than this, but there's this. Number one, to say that a true believer can finally be lost is to say that God's purpose to give to each of his people in Christ everything necessary to save and keep them was either faulty or overturned by men. Now, do you believe that? Can men overturn the will of God? The scriptures teach otherwise. Christ's sheep can never be lost. Number two, to say that a true believer can finally be lost is to say that though God chooses a man unto salvation, there's no guarantee that he can actually keep it. It means that God has chosen a specific individual to grant him all things that pertain to life and godliness only to fail. Do you believe that? The scriptures teach otherwise. Christ's sheep can never be lost. To say, number three, that a true believer can finally be lost is to say that even though Christ turned away the wrath of God for his people, that God's wrath can be rekindled. It wasn't enough. This means that the work of Christ was faulty and unsuccessful or that the will of man can overturn the sacrificial work of Christ. The scriptures teach otherwise. Christ's sheep cannot be lost. Number four, to say that a true believer can be finally lost is to say that even though the propitiating work of Christ, that means it's turned away God's wrath, that that work has satisfied God the Father and reconciled them to each other, man is still capable of becoming the enemy of God again. But the scriptures teach otherwise. The sheep of Christ cannot be lost. Can you believe that the blood of Christ did not pay for all of your sins? If he paid for all of your sins, what else could damn you? Would you think about that? Think about that. He either paid for all of your sins or he didn't. If he paid for all of them, then what could God possibly damn you for? Well, like I said, let's skate through. Number five, to say that a true believer can be finally lost is to say that though a sinner has had his entire debt of sin finished in the blood of Christ, he can still offend God one more time and end up in hell. That's very close to number four. He can become a slave again. He can become Satan's property again. Jesus would have failed in everything that he did. His salvation wouldn't save. Either Christ did really pay for the sinner's debt of sin, or the sinner's will can undo and finally overturn the price paid 
The scriptures teach otherwise. Christ's sheep can never be lost. Number six, to say that a true believer can finally be lost is to say that even though the Holy Spirit has given the believer new life so that he understands, repents, believes, he can still overturn the work of the Holy Ghost and die despite of being alive. Somehow the power of sin and death can overcome the life given by God. Do you believe that? I hope not. There are many that profess to be Christians that teach that very thing. In other words, the work of the Holy Spirit is either faulty and weak, or the sinner can overturn and undo the regenerating power of the Holy Ghost. How strong is that? The scriptures teach otherwise. Christ's sheep cannot be lost. Number seven, to say that a true believer can finally be lost is to say that though the Holy Spirit has granted a sinner faith to believe Christ, to believe and appropriate his promises, repentance to turn from his sin, and is converted to live a new life to God, he can still unconvert himself and go to hell. In other words, God requires faith and repentance unto everlasting life and gives it to sinners because of the work of Christ. But those same sinners can overturn the fulfilled requirements of God. Do you believe that? I hope not. The scriptures teach otherwise. We've seen it. It's rooted in God. It's rooted in His, in his, in his eternal nature. It's rooted in His eternal love for us. He would not give us a salvation that would only partially save us and leave the rest to us. He doesn't give us half of a salvation and then say, okay, if you can get the other half, you've got it. No. He saves us completely in Christ Jesus. Well, number eight, to say that a true believer, and by the way, the scriptures teach otherwise than that, Christ's sheep can never be lost. Eight, to say that a true believer can finally be lost is to say that even though God declares, listen carefully, declares, accepts, and treats a sinner as righteous as Christ, the sinner can somehow become unrighteous once again. In other words, it's not enough. Sin can still triumph over God's work. The scriptures teach otherwise. Christ's sheep cannot be lost. The sinner's will can take him out of the Father's hand and separate him from Christ. I've actually heard that said. They've said, oh yes, we're in Christ's hands, we're in the Father's hands, and no man can take us out of the Father's hands, but I can jump out myself. I've heard that from pulpit. We won't drop any names here tonight. <clears throat> the fact of the matter is that's a lie. Or the scriptures are a lie. Because they don't teach that. They teach that Christ's sheep cannot be lost. 
Number nine, to say that a true believer can be finally lost is to say that Christ's perfecting all his children by the sacrifice of himself is a lie or incomplete, and that Paul's prayer that God's children be sanctified wholly goes unanswered, as well as Christ's prayer to set us apart for the truth and by the truth. But the scriptures teach otherwise. Christ's sheep cannot be lost. Finally, number 10, to say that a true believer can finally be lost is to say that even though God already sees all his elect as glorified, that somehow some of them will still fail of that. They will not make it to glorification even though God saw that they would be because of his purpose. Somewhere the plan fails. So God's eternal purpose and what he sees as already a reality is faulty. God doesn't see it. God is unsuccessful. And a lie which he himself believes. Oh, they're saved and they're glorified. Oh, what happened? Not that way. The scriptures teach otherwise. God's sheep cannot be lost. So, the Lord Jesus made it clear on that winter day in Jerusalem. As the good shepherd speaking to the bad shepherds, he told them plainly, those who are not his sheep will not believe on him even after witnessing astounding miracles. This is how spiritually dead men are. But those that are Christ's sheep will have eternal life, a life of preservation and perseverance. The Father and Christ the Son have invested themselves and committed themselves to preserving Christ's blood-bought people so that they persevere until they enter eternal glory with God. My sheep hear my voice, he said, and I know them. And they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. He's talking about the second death. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. You can't get them. You can try all you want. But they're right here. In the hand of God the Son. And God the Father. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Believe those promises. If you are lost, believe the promise that Christ will save those that repent and believe. And if you have believed that, and you wrestle and you struggle against sin, that's probably a sign of life. And in that life, the Lord Jesus will preserve and you will persevere. In the name of Christ, amen. Father, we thank you for your, your grace and your mercy. We thank thee for thy son. We thank thee for thy spirit. We thank thee for thy word that is the truth. Help us all to believe and walk in it. To thy everlasting glory into our eternal good. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, please stand.
Peace be to the brethren. Peace be to the brethren. And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Let's go in the name of the Savior.